As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Monday afternoon here in the DMV, and um, look, it's the day after the Super Bowl. I, I, I imagine everybody is in need of a of of a of a nap, of a rest, of uh, you know, maybe or maybe you want to stay in that state of Super Bowlism where it's just uh, a lot of fun and a lot of uh, debates over commercials. I like the Dunkin' Donuts one; that was pretty cool. Matt Damon being completely offended that he was even there, or embarrassed that he was even there was really fun. Um, the game itself was entertaining at the first half a bit of a snooze came along as the game went on then a great finish with Patrick Mahomes once again showing why he is you know a generational talent um like a real one not just when people use that term uh rant willy-nilly this he is like a real one um and uh you know an interesting night to say the least on top of that the commanders have made some moves since we spoke to you last for their coaching staff including a few today so we'll get to all that in a moment um my guest today, our guy Mike Smeltz, who has been back here, who's been back uh, with us several times. Uh, we have a new edition of the Smeltz Test. Mike uh, gives us uh, uh, a deep thought uh, about something involving uh, the commanders. Uh, this one is uh, uh, NFL draft related. Um, and we talked about the game itself, Kyle Shanahan, Mahomes, um, People booing Taylor Swift for chugging a beer, Tony Romo, and a bunch more. So we'll get to all that in a moment here on the podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Uh, also, make sure to read me on The Athletic. I have a story up today just sort of uh, introducing everyone to the new coaching staff. It's going to we, we had, I think, five names as of this morning when it launched. Now we're going to have a couple more that I can add that we'll get to in a moment. Um, so make sure to check that out, as well as our coverage of um, the whole coaching search and everything that's going to go forward here with this team. All right. Now, as far as the commander's news, so let's get to this. Um, they had already named their two coordinators, offensive defensive coordinator, of course, Cliff Kingsbury and Joe Witt Jr., respectively. Over the weekend, uh, I reported that they have hired Larry Izzo, former NFL player, primarily with the New England Patriots. He was a a legendary special teams player. He then coached special teams at a few spots, including Seattle the past few years. Seattle's made changes to their staff after uh, hiring Mike McDonald to be their head coach. Izzo now comes here to Washington. Um, you know, I think from a name perspective, he's, you know, he, he seems like a guy that's been a pretty good coach around the league. Um, you know, it is someone who is not from at least obviously that I'm aware of a Dan Quinn coaching tree or anything like that. This is just a, sort of an independent hire that they chose to make. Obviously it's going to mean no more Nate Katzer here in Washington. Um, look, I think Nate Katzer was about as good of a coach as they've had um, under the, the Rivera era. He obviously of course stayed over from the Jay Gruden era and between Tressway and, you know, I think the special teams coverages in general, I think this has been a pretty solid unit. This year, things were a little more wonky, though, I think it's fair to say. 
you know, Joey Sly won the kicker job this summer, but he ultimately finished, I think, like 31st in field goal percentage this year. Um, Tressway, always always a good time, always a good player. It wasn't a vintage Tressway season, though, either. Uh, obviously, Cameron Cheeseman, that whole situation went sideways with his uh, changing the grip on his snaps and things that just back in the summer and things seemed to spiral from there. And then um, the return game, you know, it just never quite got going. Um, it's been the case. But Antonio Gibson was good in the kick returns, but that's obviously a much more muted part of of the game these days. Uh, the punt return, it wasn't Dax Milne this year, but Jamison Crowder ultimately didn't do any any better, really. Um, in fact, in some levels, he arguably had was a little bit worse in terms of yards per um, return in that he had the one big one that was 60 yards. If you take that one away, which I, I get it, it counts. But if you take that one away, he's below what Dax Mill averaged a year prior. So put it all together, and I understand why they moved on from Catter. Uh, always enjoyed talking to him. He was one of those coaches that would be was very comfortable behind the microphone and was willing to speak in great detail about what was going on and we appreciate him for that and it was always a nice guy i uh, hope he lands somewhere else but it, look, it appears he will be out of here with a new coach in place now mike and i talked about this next hire a little bit today the commanders we learned have hired bobby johnson former giants and bills offensive line coach um by the numbers this seems like an odd hire right the commanders last year you may have recalled Giving up a lot of sacks over the course of the year. 65 sacks. How much of a percentage of that blame do, does goes to Sam Howe holding the ball, Eric Bieniemy's play calling, the offensive line personnel, all played a part in whatever it is, 65 sacks. Bobby Johnson was the O-line coach for the Giants last year who gave up 85. The Giants offensive line has been a bit of a mess the last uh, couple of years. He's been there. He was there two years. They ultimately fired him. Uh, after the season, along with other coaches, as they made changes to, uh, you know, they, they weren't much better than Washington this year. So a very curious hire. Uh, I don't necessarily know that it means it was a bad hire, but on the surface, it's a curious one, to say the least, because you wouldn't think you'd get somebody who gave up more sacks than Washington did last year, yet somehow they pulled that off. Um, far less controversial, Ryan Kerrigan is staying on board. Last year, Kerrigan, his first year in coaching after he retired, was the assistant defensive line coach. Here he is going to be a pass rush specialist coach as well as assistant linebackers coach. Not sure why linebacker as opposed to defensive end uh, would lead me to think that they already have some thoughts uh, as to, um, you know, what they want to do on the defensive line, uh, you know, both in terms of the main job and the assistant. But we will see um, about that. Other news, and this is going the other direction. We learned the other day that Randy Jordan, running back coach, both for the Gruden and Rivera eras, is going to Tennessee for the same role. Um, you know, it, fine. I mean, I, you know, I, it, nobody from this staff needed to be kept, right? I mean, Ryan Kerrigan's a pretty easy one to say, just keep him because of what he means to the fan base, as well as the fact that look, he's a young guy. Maybe he's a... Uh, Got something to offer versus some of these coaches that have been around for a while and were part of this team that was, you know, pretty miserable last year uh, at four and 13 and, you know, no winning records in four years. In addition, though, with the offensive line coach coming in, that means no more Travell Wharton, who was the offensive line coach last year, and no more Juan Castillo, the run game coordinator last year. Both of them are out, um, My is my understanding along with tight end coach Todd Storm. Uh, Storm was the assistant to Pete Hainer. Then he got bumped up to the main job last year. He is uh, not going to be back either. So they still need to hire. I'm going through this list here in my head really quick. Running back coach, receiver coach, tight end coach, assistant offensive line coach. I, I guess you could have assistants at any of these positions. Running back, obviously, the assistant was Jennifer King. Don't know what her status is. Defensively, defensive line coach, linebacker coach, that needs to be set up. The defensive backs coach is is done. Jason Simmons uh, was previously with the Raiders. Um, and obviously, again, they have the special teams and they need assistance at some of these spots. So a few, a few jobs still remain open. 
our understanding as media was that they may be able to announce the full roster of staff this week. We'll see. It's all, it's Monday. These movies have been coming out, you know. So I would think if we're gonna if they're gonna have someone, we would learn by now. Um, if they have others in place, but you know, there could be a couple surprises here and there. Um, I don't think like the team is necessarily talking about this stuff too much. But when you have agents involved, they tend to talk. But when you get further down staffs, not all these guys have agents. So it's possible they've hired somebody without an agent and nobody's choosing to leak it. And there you go. So um, we will see how that unfolds. Again, uh, the O-line coach, pretty important position. And the hire seems curious. But, you know, um, Dan Quinn has faced the Giants, obviously, a bunch of times the last couple of years. Presumably, he's gone up against Johnson and other spots, so he's going to have some feel for him, and maybe it wasn't all his fault. The offensive line was brutal in New York before he got there. Just a just an odd look, to say, to say the least. Um, other than that, you know, uh, congrats. Well, I guess I'd be saying not congrats. Uh, bummer for Trent Williams and Chase Young having the chance to be in the Super Bowl yesterday and get a shot. To win it, they came, they came up short. Trent Williams had a couple of uncharacteristic penalties called on him early in that game that maybe cost San Francisco some points. It was the first time since, I think, week three he'd been called for multiple penalties in the same game. That happened in the first quarter. Uh, Chase Young had a sack in this game and, uh, you know, had some uh, what was noticeable in positive ways, you could say, uh, early in the game when San Francisco's defense was getting after Mahomes. Um I'd have to look at the tape to say for sure what happened as the game progressed, but you know, Mahomes obviously picked up his pace uh, against that defense. Um, I'm sure I am forgetting stuff. There's a lot of interesting things in the news right now about the wizards capitals, new arena, how there's a report out of Virginia saying it may be dead. I, I don't know how accurate that really is. And, and Ted Leones is keeping a stiff upper lip. Um, you can go read about that. Um, I, I imagine David Aldridge will have some things about all this on the athletic uh, or, you know, wherever you get your information. I'm not going to discuss that today, but just noting that that's, if I was hosting a local radio show, this would be a big topic, um, but I'm not. I'm hosting this Commander's podcast, which I greatly appreciate you all listening to. Uh, now, I'm going to let you listen to myself and Mike Smeltz talk about the Super Bowl, uh, talk about Kyle Shanahan, Tony Romo, Patrick Mahomes. How does all this fit in with uh, Adam Peters building the Commander's? What, what can we take away from what the 49ers uh, did, how the Chiefs have been built? What, what, what does that tell us anything about what Peters could accomplish here? Uh, as well as some more about the coaching hires and other random things, including the new Smeltz test. All right, here we go. My conversation with Mike Smeltz here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, joining me here to, to discuss various things that happened on Super Bowl Sunday, as well as the latest on the Washington Commanders uh, making some new hires, our guy Mike Smelt, who is going to uh, drop one of his uh, interesting, creative, or potentially insane <laughs> ideas on us later when we do what we're going to. We decided we're going to call this an homage to Kevin Sheehan. We're going to call this the Smelts Test. And see what oh, Mike yeah. drops on us. That see if it passes the smelts test. Um, no pressure. No, I'm 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 thrilled to be associated with Kevin Sheehan. And uh, technically, it's like kind of I kind of deserve it. You know, my name is Smelts, and not a, not an easy name to <laughs> to roll through uh, elementary and middle school with. Um, you know, Smelts. It's pretty easy. But uh, I, I finally now it's like now where I'm 35 and gambling is legal. And Kevin Sheehan has been laying the groundwork for me to have my own segment called the Smelts Test here on a punny pod standing room only. So oh, yeah, what was the other name? I remember you called me when you were thinking of this show and you said it was standing room only. And there's another one, right? Uh, well, in terms of my last name, like l last man standing is uh, yes. something I call yes. my fantasy football teams. <laughs> it seems to work better there um, for that type of deal. Mm -hmm. Although I didn't um, win this year. I, 
I I I usually go with Brian Hoyer for it's not punny. It's just because I'm so in belief of Kyle Shanahan's offense that I drafted Brian Hoyer when he was the projected starter for the 49ers, I guess, five years ago. And look at us now. He is a two-time I guess you know he's two-time Super Bowl loser, and uh, the Commanders took Adam Peters. And can it's a race? Can the Commanders win their first Super Bowl as the Commanders before Kyle Shanahan wins his first? That, well, I'll that's tell you what, what it, wondering about if that happens, the Kyle Shanahan uh, critics are going to be howling. I mean, they're already there, and look, you know. It is kind of silly the way we do this a lot of times. Like we make fun of the Buffalo Bills for getting to the Super Bowl four times in a row, but losing them all. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, we we sometimes equate like it's better to be you know if, if the silver medals is the first loser. You know, like that whole thing. Like we, we we crush the people who get all the way, but then don't finish it. That's obviously a lot and and probably wrong in most cases. But in this case, look, Kyle Shanahan is one of those guys, but. He he walks around with a you know I always love the Phil the, the nickname people gave Phil Mickelson Fig Jam, um, what what is it? Uh, uh, fuck, I'm great. Just ask me. Um, like <laughs> Kyle Shanahan, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan has that lore about him as well. So when a he loses, bit. yeah, when he loses, it's like a little extra. Like mm-hmm, you thought you were all that, and then to do it as he continually does it, does it with his team up by double digits. Um, that is a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm s- – not that Kyle Shanahan needs my sympathy. I actually think he coached a pretty good game last night. Um, you know, like going forward on fourth down when they did, getting that conversion. Um, I know everyone's clinging to this overtime rule, uh, the fact that the team didn't really seem to know, you know, the new overtime rules. Well, they just didn't. Um, and I understand like that's problematic. I think the biggest problem was that they got a holding call on that overtime drive they had, which stopped their momentum and forced them essentially then to kick a field goal. I thought Kyle Shanahan coached a pretty good game. He showed guts by doing the Juwan Jennings touchdown pass. Um, you know, like he was doing things that he normally didn't do in a tight game. Uh, I just he just ran into what many people are going to continue to run to over these next decade is Andy Reed coached coaching Patrick Mahomes throwing to Travis Kelsey and the rest of that team that's been built around like Mahomes is just a, it's, it's just one of the, t- I mean, it's an incredibly tough team to play. Uh, and so I don't like, I know we want to blame Kyle Shanahan for this or people want to, it's, I, I just don't, I don't feel it. I don't feel it in my gut that we're going to look back and think this was like like Sean McVay getting punked by Bill Belichick in the Patriots Rams Super Bowl. Like that was Sean McVay unable to adapt to a defensive look that Bill Belichick threw at him in the Super Bowl where Bill Belichick basically mimicked, you know, a Vic Fangio defense. Um and he got this was a team that both teams went to the you know went into overtime and one side really did this is true had Patrick Mahomes and the other side had Brock Purdy who didn't hit any of his deep shots you know those first and 10 shots at midfield that the 49ers wanted to take and all every single one of them missed so you know that's that's to me more the difference than like Kyle Shanahan is arrogant and uh didn't do it like you know whatever i understand there's a projection of arrogance but i don't really agree fully with that well i agree with the arrogance fully but in terms of this game i don't think i don't really know what more they could have done yeah we could pick apart and say in this you know in this play they could have done this or that play they could have done that and you know the second half christian mccaffrey was pretty quiet um but in general i just think you know they blew it with their mistakes in the first half i just think that they had you know you knew at some point mahomes and the chiefs would find their way but that first half I've never seen Mahomes look as as uncomfortable as he did for stretches of that of that half and San Francisco was moving the ball but penalties the turn the one big turnover by McCaffrey you know they should have been up more than they were and I think that to me was 
the issue. So, you know, is that on Kyle Shanahan in some way? I mean, I guess everything falls under the coach's purview. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just feel like they they just had too many mistakes early on and they needed to capitalize more than they did because you you have to know. Like I saw that the Shanahan said that he went for it on that fourth and three, I think it was, like around the Chiefs, like 15 or so, um, to go for the go-ahead touchdown. And he said it was 100% because of Mahomes. Of course. I mean, like, you know that it is coming, and that's what makes Mahomes so impressive. Like, there are guys who are multi-time pro bowlers and maybe an MVP or whatever who are really, really, really good. But there is only a really, really small subset of athletes who you know, if it comes down to it, you're going to lose if you give them the the, the opportunity. And Mahomes has definitely become one of those guys. It's just, that's just the way that it is. Um, the, the list is short, but he is on it, and... uh that's what, yeah. So I won't blame Kyle Shanahan too, too much, but I understand the people who are saying, ah, that guy. Yeah. And like, listen, I'm about to credit Tony Romo for something, and I thought he was horrible. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not, I'm usually not this person that crushes an announcer, one, because I actually think it is a hard job to talk for three and a half hours live on air, reacting to live things, right? Like, we are analyzing something that happened, whatever it was, 12 hours ago, 16 hours ago, whatever. And, you know, I'm going to stumble over my words. Imagine trying to do it live in, in person. There was one moment when Romo was talking about Spagnola and how he was going to bring pressure on the 49ers near the end of the game because Spagnola is going to do whatever he can to sell out and do to try to disrupt the 49ers to not let them get in the end zone. And, you know, there was a pressure play, like a play or two later that got to Purdy and didn't work out. And I think, you know, so that one, that was good identification by Romo. And I do think that, you know, there's this idea that like, oh, Kyle didn't give Purdy the option on these heavy blitz plays, like a quick option. Like it felt like Purdy did not know where to go with the football. I'm going to guess that Kyle did give him these options because most offensive coaches actually give you multiple options per a play. Obviously, there's your audibles and your checks with me's and things like that. The can, can, can. And I think Purdy just didn't didn't see it well, didn't react to it well. And he, when the pressure came by the Chiefs, he got disrupted. Um, and so, you know, if you're going for the blame meter, I just don't – Kyle Shanahan, of course you have to blame him. He's the head coach. I, I think, in fact, you know, it was an overtime game and – extremely close and Greenlaw being out from the 49ers like it's so funny as a commander's fan which I am watching the importance of linebackers the Chiefs have incredible linebackers the 49ers have those are these are the two best linebacker teams besides the Ravens in the NFL right and the Greenlaw leaving the game allowed eventually Kelsey to do what he needed to do um, it impacted the game in a number of ways when Mahomes suddenly became a running threat. Like, Ben, what a luxury it is, the fact that, like, Mahomes doesn't have to run for the entire year, and they just decide at the playoffs, in the Super Bowl, that he's going to become a RPO, read option quarterback, and they could just bring that out at key moments, and he he's actually was taking hits. Um I don't know. I thought it was like a thrilling Super Bowl from the mind game aspect of that. Like, I know it started slow, but there were, you know, the coaching, to, the, the touchdown pass to win the game, how that was, uh, you know, like a, it, as Roma was yelling Andy Reid special, um, even though he was yelling it like right as the end of the play happened when the right. team won the Super Bowl. He right. was, uh, you know. No, he was, he was, he, he was not good. Um, You know, to your point about Mahomes, Uh, I'm sure you've seen the movie The Princess Bride, an all-time sure. classic. Sure. And in the beginning, or towards the beginning, when um, uh, blanking Mandy Patinkin's character is uh, fighting the the uh, the masked man, whatever the man in black, whatever they're calling him, and they're dueling, and then like Mandy Patinkin says, you know, there it's like an even match, and he goes, hey. Uh, you know, I know something you don't know. What he goes? Well, I'm not really left-handed. And he switches to right hand and immediately starts to to take control. 
that only for then the 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 man the, the man in black to then do the same thing and encounter. That's how I felt it was though with Mahomes. It's like he's saying, okay, we're we're kind of even, and all this is okay, fine. I'm gonna finally start to pull out this other gear here where I can just run the ball whenever I want, and you're not gonna be able to stop me. And it was like I was playing before with like one arm tied behind my back that made me, you know, part of what made me so dominant. And now I'm gonna bring it out here because we didn't need it before to get this get into the playoffs and figure out a way to, you know, uh, have a shot. Now we have a shot. Look out. And yeah, that's how I just felt about watching him run the whole time. And this is going to link to why commanders fans should have hope. And I'm going to localize this story for us for a sec, Ben, because, you know, that's what they teach you in journalism school. You want to localize the story, um, a national story and bring it local. Okay. The, I think the chiefs for a dynasty, right, are one of the most interesting builds in recent sports history, not just not just in the NFL, if you look across dynasties. Because what, like, Mahomes and the Patriots have done through Brett Veach, the executive of the Kansas City Chiefs, who, like, we don't ever really hear about, is they basically did, like, the inverse Patriots, where when Tom Brady was starting out, his they had an incredible defense, and eventually they evolved into – Randy Moss and throwing the ball deep and being dominant that way. Mahomes started with Tyreek Hill being pass happy, being the most explosive offense we see, we one of the most explosive we've ever seen, and evolved it into defense, clutch plays, you know, making those little the the fifteen yard pass versus going for the forty five yard bomb. You know, the the Chiefs running game wasn't even that good last night. Um, and they still, because of that, that the defense, the investment they made on the defense, the investment they made on the offensive line, the Chiefs had, like, I think we're going to look back at this collection of wide receivers that the Chiefs had and look at it like the way we did with the Brady, like Troy Brown led oh, wide 100. receiver units. We're definitely, that we're doing that now. Like that is, you know, I always point to, one year, the year the, the New England lost to the Colts in the AFC Championship game, the one time the Colts came back on them, Tom Brady's leading receiver that year was Rasheed Caldwell. The following year, Rasheed Caldwell got signed to Washington and was completely irrelevant. I think they may even cut him before the season ended. Um, but that's yeah, that, that it is that is what what you what you get when you have these dynamic quarterbacks. It I won't say it doesn't matter who you play at receiver, but it almost kind of doesn't. And I think Rasheed Rice is going to eventually be like a guy. Yeah. Like he's going to become a pro bowler wide receiver and he's going to become someone that Mahomes is going to rely upon. But again, it's it's just like it is kind of thrilling to see Mahomes go from this like sort of generational bazooka arm dynamo to being a Brady game manager. And I mean that in the best sense possible. Um, and it was a really – like this team went through somehow they went through a total conversion of who they were from deep plays with Tyreek to what they are now a defensive led unit with a really incredible quarterback while winning Super Bowls. And it, it does show you proper management, proper GMing can take you there. The assets they got from Tyreek turned into partial parts of this team that again, just continued one back-to-back Super Bowls and I'm sure is the favorite to win the Super Bowl next year. Um, I haven't looked at the odds quite yet, but it's, you know, and for Commanders fans, it's like, well, if you actually have a really good GM in place, you can you can do those things. You can have an eye towards the future. And also, of course, you need, you know, Patrick Mahomes and, you know, maybe Drake May, Caleb Williams, or Jaden Daniels is going to be, well, they won't be Patrick Mahomes, but they'll be, they could be someone that people can get excited about. Yeah, no, the Chiefs, over this this dynasty period have evolved from this team that was viewed as being very talented to what they should be viewed now as a great effort team. Like, cause this team, I mean, their defense played great all year, but defense is obviously just by nature sort of a lot of effort. The, the, you know, you're having to continually try to push up against this force coming in your direction, but yeah, the offense, you know, I mean, the Travis Kelsey's great, but like so many of their other random parts are just that random parts uh, that they, you know, they, they've done a much better job of filling out their defense um, and, and turning that into such a weapon, knowing, I guess, to some degree that with Mahomes, they can go a little bit lighter at some of these positions. 
right, than they would otherwise. I also am never a big believer in building in building a lot into receiver. And uh, that's why Travis Kelsey, I bet from a value perspective, might be the most valuable player in the league because he's not getting paid the way the, his equivalent of a wide receiver would be because tight ends just don't make, you know, as much that kind of money. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. But to, to your point about Adam Peters, you know, again, the Niners, this Niners team, I mean, they've got a lot of, you know, top line guys, Trent Williams, you know, Excellent player, right? Bosa was the number two pick in the draft, things like that. But like the, you know, what was their best offensive combination last night besides McCaffrey? Brock Purdy to uh Jawan Jennings. Both guys were seventh round picks, 2020 for Jennings, uh, 2022 for Purdy. So many guys on that defense are later round picks, and it's Adam Peters who typically gets credit for those later round picks that they had. Um, you know, like I'm not gonna like if anybody's out there saying Brock Purdy blew this, screw you. I think Brock Purdy played pretty well. Um, he's a second-year guy. He was the last pick in the draft. Like, it's an unbelievable story if, that he's even gotten this far, let alone, you know, almost one. I, I thought he was pretty good. I mean, you know, sure, maybe he didn't make a couple, you know, a couple key plays, and you mentioned the blitzes. Um, you know, maybe it was a struggle. Well, okay, I mean, you know, he's not Mahomes. Nobody is. Like, it's – he play, he's played at a level that I think is – Fair with a lot of guys who were among the better quarterbacks in the league who just aren't, you know, Michael Jordan, if, if we want to use that analogy. So, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot to, especially with Adam Peters here. I mean, there is a lot to get excited about, assuming that that's all true, that he's the one that really kind of drove San Fran's like day two, day three, or well, especially day three picks. Because um, so much of that is how San I mean, you know, all, all these teams have salary caps, right? The only order for it to work is you have to have the guys in like day three and undrafted free agents fill big roles just like the way you know Isaiah Pacheco does for them um and, and a bunch of other guys you can't just have first round picks being the key because eventually that's gonna you know, one it won't work and two it's not going to um you know mistakes are gonna happen I mean San Fran's drafts have not been perfect but you met you throw enough darts at the board hit enough you know you can uh you can work it out yeah and the interesting thing and I hope this gets brought up I hope this translates too with the way that Kyle Shanahan is able to coach a bunch of different types of players. Cause if you think about like, there's a type of GM who's very successful because they feed the right players to their coach. And, and, and that, that definitely happened with Adam Peters and John Lynch. And of course, Kyle Shanahan's like incredibly involved with the draft process, but to look at a guy like Debo Samuel, who is not a traditional wide receiver, he, he and Kyle figured out how to take what Debo is and amplify it with all the jet sweeps that he was famous for for a few seasons and still runs the ball with him. And at times before Christian McCaffrey got to San Francisco, Debo was the best running back that the 49ers had. And so why I think that's important for Adam Peters is that Peters has shown that he can get really talented dudes who then the coaching staff figures out what they want to do with them um, versus like just simply feeding into, Hey, here's, here's the exact type of player that Kyle Shanahan likes, because if you only draft for scheme and I do, of course we know scheme is incredibly important. You should be, there should be a marriage between the coach coaching staff and the executive staff. And we got to figure out the right players for the scheme and all that. I understand, you know, we all understood the Adam Archuleta uh, saga here in Washington or, um, Ben, remind me that this is so sad. I don't remember the name. Cornerback from the Bengals who Ron Rivera signed, Jackson. William Jackson. Um, my my internet is screwing up, so apologies to Mike Cosfrez. But yeah, they signed William Jackson. Um, yeah. Adam Peters is able to find dudes like wherever he goes or wherever, whatever part of the draft. And I hope the coaching staff knows how to coach them. You know, I hope Cliff knows how to take a guy in the third round wide receiver who doesn't really necessarily run the most refined routes, but he's 6'1", 210, and a beast like Debo. Like, it would be exciting if this team, the commanders, could interact in that way with the exec with the people trying to find the talent. Yeah, I, I mean, again, you got to take a lot of the things said at introductory press conferences as just sort of things people say you know, to try to say the right things. But when Dan Quinn talks about, you know, he he's not like sort of, you know, he, he wants to figure out ways to get the 
put the players in the best situation possible. I think that is the whole story for me. Like you, it is if you if you just have a plan and this is what you want to do, and you have to get the players to fit to go into that. Eventually, you'll run into problems. At some point, you have to adjust to the talent there. And like you know, like you're saying, when you're in the draft in particular. Look, this guy is a player. This guy can go like, you know, and it can't be somebody who doesn't completely work for what you're doing. It is important to marry up the drafting with the philosophy, um, but it can't just be so dominant the other way that you're going to completely, um, you know, focus on the on, on the uh, on the system and not get the most out of the individual players. I mean, that's obviously was a hallmark of Joe Gibbs 1.0 and, you know, the better coaches, I think can do that um, as well. And like, you know, even like with Kansas city, like, you know, Kansas city, they played one way when they had like a Tyreek Hill and then they adjusted to playing in other ways when, when they didn't. And and they leaned on their defense clearly more this year than they had in the past. And, um, you know, probably were a little more conservative offensively accordingly to like lean into the defense and knowing that they were a little shorthanded on their own end. So yeah, I, I completely agree that that's all huge here, by the way, speaking of that, uh, I was on with Kevin Sheen earlier today and he was asking me, I guess, cause I don't know, some different reports about like, I guess the bears like are saying like, you know, apparently they'll take a haul to get them to trade away from number one. Okay, sure. Whatever. Um, and then there was some other notion that like Cliff Kingsbury coming here was because Washington seemed to suggest to him, Hey, you know, we'll do whatever we can to get you the quarterback that you want. Um, I don't necessarily comprehend that that would be actual fact like they, they would go out of their way to get who cliff kingsbury wants when he's not even like top three four five uh, you know i would argue on the depth chart of like important people but that said you got to get somebody that makes sense for for both uh for both uh angles obviously he's associated with caleb williams because of their year together at usc and this brings us up to the smelts test i think you, yes. you you've got a thought here on uh <laughs> on caleb williams La- just to be clear your last thought when we had you on previously was that Adam Peters, the potential concern here is that he is too handsome. Yeah. yeah. That too many people are, are, are missing at times where he's saying things that are like, yeah, are we sure about that? Because they're just blinded. Blinded by the, by the looks. It, yeah. it, it in fact is what I do not name on the pod, but I've internally in the smelts newsroom have been calling it the cliff Kingsbury corollary and the team hired cliff Kingsbury. Like, cause I, cause I will be honest. I think, why we why some people believe Cliff Kingsbury is maybe better than he is is because he is so good looking, and if I'll say this as a as a man who struggles with his own weight, if he looked like Charlie Weiss, I don't know if we would consider him the offensive genius that we do. I think I think looks can impact how we think about people in high positions. Well, just look at Andy Reid. Like Andy Reid was not getting. The, I mean, obviously he's won a lot since he's gotten to Kansas city, but you know, he was pretty good in Philly. They were winning. They just weren't getting all the way. Now he's got Mahomes. They're winning. And now he's like, you know, I mean, look, Jason Kelsey, wasn't he, didn't people magazine vote him like the sexiest man? Like, I'm not saying Jason Kelsey is a slob or anything, but like, you know, he's a gruffy offensive lineman, like, but you win and you play, even if you're playing center, people are like, Oh, that guy. So I I'm just saying, I want to throw a little shade to cliff. I, I would, I'm very, you know, I'm not as excited about the offensive coordinator hire, um, but I, I'm, I'm going to allow the idea that he did do a pretty good job in Arizona and that by not being the head coach and just being the OC, like he may have a better shot at success. Um, here's what I want to think about Caleb Williams. Okay. I'm going to, I want to dispel sort of like two thoughts about him. There is the critics of Caleb Williams are saying like, oh, he really cares about NIL and money and ooh, his dad's super involved. And are we sure he really cares? Everything I read about him, like he is a, a gym rat. And I still remember him crying in his parents' arms at the end of this current college football season because it, not because he was like a baby, but because he cared so much that, that this team – stunk around him and so i you know to not believe that like to believe that I, w- the tears weren't legitimate is is hard for me to wrap my head around but the, the one thing i want to point out about caleb williams and why 
like what I saw with my eyes was incredible with Caleb Williams in terms of him as a player on the field. The one thing I worry about is that we there is a narrative developing out of this Caleb Williams past season that you know people say oh he improvised so much but he had to because the situation with USC was really bad, right? Well, I would say, yeah, it didn't, like, definitely this Lincoln-Riley team did not have as much talent as previous Lincoln-Riley teams at Oklahoma. Uh, my one thing, though, is that Lincoln-Riley is the greatest coacher, coach of quarterbacks in college fo- modern con- college football history. He took Baker Mayfield, who was a walk-on at one school, made him a Heisman winner. He took Jalen Hurts, who was at Alabama, under and basically got benched for Tua, made him a Heisman winner. He took Caleb Williams, who was the top recruit in the country, and made him a Heisman winner. But this past year, there's this idea that the situation around Caleb was less than perfect, and we shouldn't ding Caleb Williams for what happened at USC this past season, namely being that he held the ball for too long and he made – he was running out of like he basically didn't operate in the system that you would want to see for a quarterback. He classically just sort of tried to make plays almost in a sandlot style. The concerning thing to me, if I'm a Commanders fan, is only and I really like Caleb Williams. It's just that like no other quarterback in a Lincoln Riley system, like the system that Lincoln Riley puts around a quarterback is by far the best system in college football for any quarterback. It's just from results, and so. I and so I'm supposed to believe that this past season at USC that suddenly the system around Caleb Williams was detrimental to Caleb when I get a little worried that a guy like Caleb Williams who holds on the ball super long and doesn't just do you know three step drop five step drop boom ball out like I do worry that that we're not properly analyzing the faults of Caleb in a system that, again, is like the best thing that you could be in if you're if you're a quarterback. It's almost like being in uh, David Shea in Sopranos and being a bad actor in The Sopranos. <laughs> it's like, who is Tony's son? Um, AJ. AJ. Like, AJ was a horrible actor. Horrible, right? And we know it wasn't because the words were bad and the directing was bad. We knew it was because AJ, the actor, was a bad actor. Now, Caleb Williams won a Heisman you know, two college football seasons ago under Lincoln Riley and then came into this season and the team did worse. I'm not blaming it all on Caleb, but I'm just saying like we need to evaluate both of our understandings. The Caleb Williams is really good, but also he has an amazing system around him and it wasn't perfect. And and so that's that's my Caleb Williams big concern right now that I think people are missing. I, I, you know, look, I think you make a reasonable point to, to your point about the Lincoln Riley thing. He did it with Baker Mayfield. You know, we forget now Baker Mayfield was a walk on and he eventually became the number one pick in the draft. That that is nuts. Jalen Hurts went from Alabama to Oklahoma. And we now look at Jalen Hurts as this very successful NFL quarterback. Again, the guy was benched. Uh, he was benched at Alabama in the national title game. Now it was for a guy named Tua Tunga Viola. So it wasn't like he was. A random bench, but Jalen Hurts, the idea that he was going to be this passing quarterback in the NFL blows my mind from where he was in Alabama. So, yeah, Lincoln Riley gets a lot of credit, which also brings up to the point of this past year. And I didn't break down the tape. And, like you're saying, maybe there's like even for the positive stuff to look at, but he clearly didn't have as good of a year this year as he did last year for whatever the reason. And this was the year that Cliff Kingsbury was on the staff. Like, that's the part also that feels weird to me. Like, uh, okay, like, sure, familiarity helps, but. I don't know. It wasn't like the guy, you know, like I understood like when Joe Burrow crushed it at LSU that last year that his OC Joe Brady became this hot commodity because it elevated the guy. It didn't seem to be the same here, Um, which, again, not to say that Cliff Kingsbury can't work. But, yeah, that was like sort of an odd like, huh? all right, I guess uh, he's getting some credit for that. I don't know. I'm really interested to see as this discussion keeps like going with the, the all the sourcing that is happening where Adam Schefter says the commanders seem to not be that motivated to give up what it takes. And then Ian Rappaport goes out and says, it's going to take a motherload package to get the bears to move off of one. Like you see 
there is some like um cold war games gamesmanship statesmanship being played in this moment um my hope and to to talk about the smelts test is that ownership doesn't push uh the Caleb Williams plan because he's from DC like that anytime someone brings that up I'm like please that doesn't matter that Tom Brady's from the Bay Area and thrived in Foxborough you know Patrick Mahomes is from Texas and is crushing it in KC like being from the area is actually probably a detriment to to actually thriving in a new area like you like it it like i've talked to david aldridge about this with like the kevin durant um oh is he ever gonna come to the wizards and it's like you know what most guys don't want to go back home because it's there's they know everyone it's actually there's more pressure it's you can you kind of have to like you're back in sort of the apparatus that you grew up in it's like i i know it would sell maybe five more tickets because caleb williams went to gonzaga but like to, to me it should have it shouldn't even be a note within his draft guide, internal draft guide with the commanders. They should, they, if I was Adam Peters, I would say, if anyone brings up that he's from DC, you're fired. You're absolutely fired right now, Ben, because the, it, it, it is, it should not be a factor in what is being considered for the most important position in sports, you know, and what used to be known as the most important position in Washington beyond president is the quarterback of the commanders. Like if they bring up that he's from DC, I'm gonna be. I mean, we just saw with Chase Young what that what that meant. Didn't yeah, no, it, it's definitely. I mean, look, you know, I always think that for the Wizards, you know, um, you know, LeBron wanted to play in Cleveland. Uh, whether they rigged it the first time for him to be the lottery pick, or he went there the second time after the second decision, like he wanted to be at his hometown area. Sort of that worked for them. They won a title out of it. Uh, Durant had no interest. If Durant had been like LeBron, this would be a very, you know, had been a very different story. It wasn't. Um, and yeah, you, you never know. And then it's just a personality thing. How does it work? How doesn't it work? Um, I totally get that it would be a, a huge headache uh, for him uh, to, to have to deal with it. Um, I wouldn't not draft him accordingly, but I would. This is where the back, you know, this is where like sort of the idea that anything that is being discussed now is a, is a definite answer just does not work for me because I don't know what I'm sure they've done background checks or whatever they do on all these guys. There will be more. This is why you still do the combine. This is why you still do these other interviews, you know, whatever it's going to, whatever it's going to be workouts, what have you, because you need to learn more and you're going to learn more by being around the person and by learning. I mean, again, the Ben Johnson thing being the most recent example where everybody said it was a lock. And then whatever happened, he left, he, he bailed on the meeting, which is to say, that is a red flag that they would potentially have picked up on on other conversations and led to them not hiring him. So you never know. Um, but yes, the DC thing is a very, it's a, it's an interesting uh, variable that I do wonder how much they give weight to. If this was Dan Snyder, this would be a no brainer because oh, it's, God. you know, it's to get that, you know, to get that market. But in terms of the, what, what the new group will do, um, we will have to uh, see. Um since we're here talking about some of these coaches, so today they uh, uh, it was announced that, uh, or not announced, but reported by me and others that they've hired a new offensive line coach. Yeah, now, very exciting. A great resume. Now, look, I as you guys always hear me say, you can't always be you can't always be sure what a coordinator or an assistant is doing relative to the person who has the main job when you're saying you want them for your job because. Who knows what what you know? You have to know all the details as to what's going on, you know. Here, just like if you said, "Hey, this is all Eric Bieniemy's fault. Whatever happened with the offense last year?" Well, I don't know. Is that true? You know, Sam Howell's young and Ron Rivera this and the offensive line that. Okay, but if I tell you that the Commanders, a team that allowed sixty five sacks last year, that got points, they were trending for like Sam Howell's trending to be the most sacked quarterback in the history of the world, that they would hire a guy whose team last year gave up 85 sacks 85 sacks and that and that's like they basically had to pull like it's i'm not saying they pulled the short straw but if you said here's a pile of all the offensive linemen you could pick that from a perception standpoint would be better than this and they put their hand into the pile and pulled out the guy with 85 sacks last year that that is that is remarkable 
Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's hard. To, I mean, listen, again, as you said, how, how do we know if, if, a, if an assistant coach is good? You know, it, there are so many factors that lead into offensive line play and sacks and the fact that, you know, the that offensive line with the Giants had uh, Tommy DeVito at quarterback and Tyrod uh, for most of the year. Like, and they had bad draft picks done by, you know, uh, the executives there, the GM there. Yes, all that fact. But like, I mean, this is like, this is pretty, uh, this is not thrilling. You know, like uh, this is, you know, I texted you, Ben. Um, I think it's interesting to think about, you know, the the sliding doors moment of like, if this team hired, I'm not even going to say Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson has shown himself to, to not want this job. But Mike McDonald, right? Like that was the other competitor. And and I would put up, I would just tell people, look at Mike McDonald's staff in Seattle compared to Washington's. Washington has much more NFL experience and legitimacy. Mike McDonald hired Ryan Grubb, who was the OC for the Huskies, the Washington Huskies, never coached in the NFL. And sure, that could be exciting, but I tend to think coaching offensive football in the NFL like really does matter. Versus Cliff Kingsbury, who I think, you know, too handsome to be good, but still good enough, you know? And and then Joe Witt Jr., I don't know how good Joe Witt Jr. is, but I do think he's – this is the only comparison point that you need. The de- the defensive coordinator that they hired in Seattle was like third on the list in Dallas in terms of power structure on the defense. Washington got number one in Quinn and number two in Joe Witt Jr., and – they got the D-line coach in Dallas moving over to be the D.C. Now, they have Mike McDonald as defensive play caller and Leslie Frazier as an assistant head coach, so they have plenty of brain power over there. To go back to Bobby Johnson, it's like, listen, <laughs> if if the team gives up eight sacks in the first game with their rookie quarterback, it's going to be pretty easy for people on Twitter to be shouting loudly about how they shouldn't have hired Bobby Johnson as the O-line coach. And again, none of those people would actually be informed about how those eight sacks were created. You know, could have been the rookie quarterback not understanding uh, protections. And there's maybe there's a new center who doesn't also understand protections and all that stuff. But it's like a little, like, uh... God, that guy must have been a great interview, Ben. Must have been a hell of an interview to get hired after an, how many sacks? 85? 85. Sacks? That's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, uh, to, to understand a hundred, a hundred percent. I mean, the only thing I could go with, and this was like when Dan Quinn explained why Kyle King, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, he said it was because Kyle Kingsbury, huh? I like that. <laughs> well, he said it was because like Kyle Shanahan, when he faced him as the as defensive coordinator, that Kingsbury's schemes were always giving him fits or he was always like, damn, that's really good or whatever. So maybe there's something to that here. He's, he's obviously, you know, Johnson was the O-line coach for the Giants the last two years, uh, maybe that within the struggles that that team had, that that uh, Quinn saw enough positives to say this guy just needs better stuff around him. I mean, that said, the Giants drafted Evan Neal, like what, the third pick two years ago? That hasn't worked out on any level. Um, you know, the, their offensive line has been a huge hindrance for this team. And again, it does, I, I'm not saying that they uh, – that it's all on him, but I feel like they've invested a little bit in that position and it just hasn't worked uh, for whatever the reason. And again, their, their quarterback play isn't great, but uh, you know, we could easily sort of chalk up the 65 sacks here to Sam Howe's pension for holding onto the ball combined with some weaknesses on the line combined with just a new system with the enemy led to what happened, happened. I don't know that you can make the same claim with the giants. I mean, Daniel Jones was their starting quarterback and then he wasn't, you know, he was also getting, hit Tyrod Taylor has been around. So I don't know. It's a curious choice. I, you know, for any of these choices, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt for now, but man, that is a t- <laughs> the yeah. one guy you could pick who had his offensive line, give it more sacks than yours did. And not to be too nerdy, but like Cliff's system is particular. It's actually a, a more run. It became a more run heavy version in the NFL as he went along. And when I say it's particular, I'm thinking specifically about how the offensive line has to play. And, and, and I don't, you know, what, again, what do we know? We're, we're, it's, it's February 12th and it's, it's going to be months and months and months before we can even assess what this offensive line will be like. But 
you know, it's, <laughs> it doesn't feel like, um, you know, if we, if we did blind resumes, that guy's resume, Bobby Johnson, uh, not exactly the most compelling. Again, must have been a hell of an interview to really have gotten to where he got. Yeah, um, for for sure. I heard he's uh, somebody told me he's a great guy. Great sure, guy. I'm I'm not gonna doubt that. Um, but uh, we'll see. Um, all right, couple quick things here before um, I let you go. The uh, the halftime act always a popular topic. Here's my here's my point. This is the one I was making before a halftime happened, and then I think I'm pretty gonna stick to it and that is I, I look i'm not questioning usher uh and he's got some great songs and i get that he's a fan favorite among the ladies and whatever else you want to say i'm sorry i don't see usher as the main headliner for a halftime show and it and sure enough they agreed because they brought out a hundred other people to help offset his lack of uh i don't want to say star power but like you know he i think he hasn't put out an album in like nine years he does not he's not sniffed the zeitgeist of people like Rihanna or Eminem or Beyonce or whatever. Um, so they had to bring out like all these other people to help. I that made sense to me, but headlining Usher the whole time made no sense. Uh I thought his show was similar to the Chiefs, kind of a lackluster first half, picked up in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I'm just glad it wasn't a hologram Elvis or something. Like it, you know, because it is what, in Wayne Vegas Newton. It could have been really a, like a real just a schlocky, awful moment for, I mean, it could have been like Penn and Teller, which actually would have been kind of avant-garde and fun to have a comedic uh, magician show at halftime. Um, yeah, I mean, it is tough. There, There's a select few who can really, who are the Rihanna, Beyonce, Taylor yeah. Swift tier um we're just it, it is so hard to reach that level you know but i i'm 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 unfortunately i'm of the generation where like ushers like that, that fits me you know like that that he was his rise was like my high school and when i was in high school and like usher was the guy one of the dudes um i wonder how like a 15 year old football fan would have even conceived of rush and the thought about usher as like a good performer because Frankly, for them, he's one of the judges on The Voice a couple of seasons, and not not much else. So it, it is, you know, next year's is in, I think the Super Bowl's in New Orleans, and so I'm sure you know there's got to be some New Orleans act that we can like that can really live up. I mean, people are saying Little Wayne, and I don't know if Little Wayne's catalog is like the most family friendly. Um. But that's that show should be one where there's like a lot of different sort of like uh, Louisiana rapper, like mix, all mixed in. Like, let's not just do one person. Let's have it be a whole almost like a mu- mini music festival sort of halftime performance. All right. Um, get some get some trombone shorty. Yeah. I don't know what Neville brothers are still uh, <laughs> hanging around. Um, I'm sure there's more. uh contemporary things that the, 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 I was just trying to think of people that I, whenever I, somebody tells me they went to jazz fest or something sure. that they, uh, that, that they saw perform. Um, speaking of performers, obviously Taylor Swift, not a performer, but obviously right. front and center at the, at the uh, game. Yeah. I, I don't really, I haven't been go- that worked up over them showing her on TV. I, it doesn't really bother me that much. Certainly it's crazy how many people are offended by it, but uh to show her as they apparently did on the screen, chugging a beer, and people are booing that. You've got to be kidding me! You're a, I don't know who you are, but you're at a NFL game, and I get it. She's the Chiefs, and you might be a 49ers fan, so I'll sort of give you that. A a a, a, a famous person acting like one of us by chugging a beer is already gets bonus points. She's a, you know, she's a she, she's an attractive she, she's a famous attractive she, trying to be as, who is the most famous person, like, on the planet right now, she's sure. trying to be as normal as the rest of us, and we're booing that? Come on, get yeah. get over yourself. I, I mean, there's, you can't boo a beer chug, can't boo a beer chug, and, and you know, if, you know, we have, it's an election year, and if instead of debates, they just, it was Biden and Trump chugging beers, I, I would, I would love to see it, I think it, it would heal the country in some way um listen ben your listeners probably don't know this but 
I am sort of the self-proclaimed Taylor Swift correspondent for The Athletic at this point. I've written two Taylor Swift-themed articles um, using her lyrics to compare football situations. Um, I understand the hate because if you read the comments in my stories, Ben, oh, there are there are some mad people. And so I understand I, the boos don't even surprise me because people thoroughly dislike Taylor Swift for a variety of reasons, which don't really ultimately makes sense but um it's <laughs> and again like you know i would much rather see taylor swift well i'm a fan so i, I can't be i can't be impartial like i want to see her reaction when when travis makes a great play like i just want to see that so um but i'd rather see that than like the shot cut away to a a bare-chested man painted up from his nose to his toes and you know, it's just not not particularly uh, a paragon of perfect, you know, masculinity and and muscle. Um, well, I'd rather and, see Taylor Swift. That's yeah. Also, I would say this, and look, I'm not a Swifty, uh, and I'm not opposed. I'm you. just saying, I'm not that. Shame I'm not that guy. Huh? I'm gonna make you a mixtape, Ben. You're gonna I, you're gonna get so into the to it all i look there are so many like the most active twitter thread i was on last night or sorry text thread i was on last night wasn't with all my guy friends talking about the game it was with threads i'm on with um some women in my life who are big time taylor swift fans and they were asking me all kinds of questions what's the blue met what's the what's the blue tent do why you know why is this happening what's going on with that you know that was they were all into it for obvious you know reasons they're trying to figure out what's going on because their girl is involved but what I would say about Taylor Swift is, look, my objection, if they were showing somebody constantly on the screen, would be is if that person is into this or they're just an absolute poser, right? I I don't think she's a poser. Like, she is genuinely seems to be into this. It's been a while now, right? I don't know how many games she's been to throughout this journey, but it's been a lot. She seems to be, every time we see her on TV, she's not that good of an actress. She seems to be genuinely excited by this. And I would also point to... When she goes to these award shows, you know, the Grammys recently, great show for for Ben Standig. I had a lot of things I liked in there, including Tracy Chapman singing Fast Car, which was sort of a, a surprise. And, er, and another part of the show, Miley Cyrus is singing Flowers, her big song of the year. I yeah, know that yeah. one. Classic. And she at one point turns to the crowd and says, hey, come on, you guys all know this. Like, sing the song, sing the words. Partly because it's a stuffy crowd, right? People aren't doing anything. But back to Tracy Chapman. They turn to the crowd at one point, and the only person who is standing up and, you know, dancing to the song and singing along with it is Taylor Swift. I genuinely think she is this person who has somehow been able to stay grounded and in in the moment, despite the fact she is who she is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Like I said, she's into this. When she started, I don't know if Blake Lively's into this, or uh, is it Ice Spice? Is that? I don't know yeah. if they're into this, but they're her friends. I, I think she's into this. As long as the mother seems to be cool with it too, then I, I don't I don't I don't get it. Again, she's not a poser, would be my point. And that to me is the big would be the bigger issue. You know, if, if we're constantly highlighting somebody who couldn't care less about being there. Yeah, and I'll say one because I gotta bounce soon. Yeah. But I think during the season when she started appearing at games and the Chiefs were wobbling, and there was the Yoko Ono theory. That was trotted out there, which frankly, the Yoko Ono theory is like as inaccurate as Bill Simmons's Ewing theory, because if you really analyze, like there's a whole documentary by the Beatles, you know, that were, you know, the, the one that Peter Jackson directed, we're like, you really actually see that band was just breaking up regardless. That was, it was going to happen. Um, but, you know, Taylor Swift started to be compared to Yoko Ono and like, oh, she's going to ruin the Chiefs. If anything, this is like the death, the, the, you know, the final nail in the coffin for the Yoko Ono theory. She, you know, the theory of like, oh, this woman figure is going to damage this ma- manly group of achievers. Like she got injected into football during the season, into this team, and they won a Super Bowl still. So, you know, the Yoko Ono effect you just can't apply it. Like we can't apply it to certain circumstances because it's like, like, look what happened. They won the Super Bowl. Um, the, um, even the amount of attention that was added onto them because of her, and that is legitimate, 
the team still won a, won a Super Bowl against, you know, one of the better teams in, you know, the past few years in the San Francisco 49ers. So uh, all, all true. All true. All right. Mike's got to go, which he, he's been very generous with this time at Mike Smeltz, S-M-E-L-T-Z on Twitter, founder of the Smeltz Test here exclusively yep. on the uh, Standard Room Only podcast. Uh, and a guy who does a lot of great things um, for the athletic. Also, make sure, as always, you can find him on LinkedIn. Find me, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Big thanks to Mike Smelter for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Back more this week for sure. Um, but that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See you. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.